All right. Well, it's good to be with you guys today. If you came in a little bit late, if you're in the bleachers, you'll notice that there is a survey in your chairs. And I'd love for you to just take some time and fill those out. Uh, The purpose of those things are just for us to get our mind around who's coming and how we can better serve you. They're completely anonymous. Don't put your names on them. We don't want to know. We just want to know kind of the demographic uh, and and just where you're at spiritually. It helps us pastor you better. And I'm going to talk about why we care about that stuff here in just a second. It's a little bit different Sunday here at the Austin Stone. Obviously, we don't normally fill out surveys in church, but we do that every couple of years. And I'm going to, and the elders have kind of asked us to do this for a couple of reasons. One, for us to know how to pastor you better, like I just said. And one, really just to gauge the spiritual health of our church. Um, And the reason that we care about the spiritual health of you our church is because the scripture, I know this sound really straightforward, but the Bible calls us as elders of the church to care about your spiritual health. And in this sermon today, it's, we're not in, in uh, Exodus, we will be back there next week, but um, today's really just, I want to talk about the responsibility of the elders of this church to engage in your spiritual health. I just want to teach a Sunday, or a lesson rather, kind of out of that and it comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. So if you have a Bible, turn there if you will. <coughs> Excuse me, Hebrews 13, 17. Let me read this to you. And this is, we're going to kind of camp out there. Then we'll go to Romans. Then we'll go to Acts. But Hebrews 13, 17. I want to read this verse to you. It says, Obey your leaders, those the elders of the church, and submit to them, <coughs> for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Read that again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, there there are two parts to this verse you can really break down into two different sermons. Um, The author of Hebrews is writing to the people of the church. And he's calling them to submit to their leaders. He's saying, submit to the leaders of your local church. And he tells them to do that so that the elders of the church can do their work with joy and without groaning. And it always cracked me up that he uses the word groaning right there. And if you've never been an elder of a church, that that just flies over your head. You don't think about it. But if you have been an elder of a church or if you're an elder of this church, that ought to make you laugh like it makes me laugh. Because I can't tell you how many times over the years that that uh, reaction is my reaction. You get some uh, email uh, or some call from one of the other elders that one of the people of the church has done something monumentally stupid. And the best thing you know to do in that moment is just, ah, you just groan. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, Look, submit to your elders and don't make them groan, all right? And so that's the sermon in a nutshell there. But then there's another part of this verse that we're going to camp out in today. And so let's, um, let's read it again. <clears throat> verse 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And here's why we do that. Not just so they won't groan. But it says, because they keep watch over your soul. They keep watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account. Submit to your leaders because they keep watch over your soul 
Because it says they are going to have to give an account. That's, that's a sobering verse for me. Okay, it's a sobering verse for the other 23 men that are elders of the Austin Soul Community Church. Because what this is saying is that one day I am going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And I'm going to give an account for your soul. I'm going to give an account for your soul. Now, if you're not an elder of a church, again, you've probably never spent much time studying that verse. But Bible, but the Bible is saying <clears throat> there are actually two people in this world that are going to give an account in front of the judgment seat of God for you as an individual. Two people. The first person the Bible talks about that's going to give an account for your soul and your life is you. I don't know if you've thought about that, but the scripture's clear about that. It's going to be you. You're going to have to stand before the Lord one day. The scripture's very clear and give an account for your life. In Romans, don't turn there, just listen. In Romans 14.10, it says, why do you pass, this is Paul speaking. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, and this is God speaking, he says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. I saw something, I saw something this week I've never seen in my life, but you always hear the phrase, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But that's not really what it's saying. It's, what God is saying is that every knee is going to bow, okay? So there's going to come a moment where everybody in the world will stand before the judgment seat of God. You, you're, you're in this equation, and your knee's going to bow before the Lord, and you're going to confess. That's what it says there. It says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And what is it, what, what's going to happen in that moment? What are we confessing in verse 12? It says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Every one of us will give an account of himself to God. You will stand. Actually, you'll be kneeling. You're going to be kneeling in front of the God of the universe. And the scripture says that you will give an account to him for you. What the Bible does teach us in that moment is what you're going to give an account for in that moment is whether or not you trusted in Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Whether or not you trusted in Jesus and his shed blood on the cross for the payment of your sin, that's what you're going to be confessing to the Lord about. <clears throat> All right, that's, that's it for you. All right, you're going to be there. But, there. but the scripture also says this. The scripture also teaches this. That in Hebrews 13, you're not going to be the only one that gives an account for your life. There's going to be another person that stands before the judgment seat of God and gives an account for you, and the Bible says that it's me. Now, you might not think we're connected, but you just learned in the Bible, we're connected here. It's not going to be your wife or your husband that gives an account for you. <clears throat> it's not going to be your friends. It's not going to be your missional community. It's not going to be the leader of the parachurch organization that you're a part of. The Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God says it will be the elders and the leaders of your local church that are going to stand before God Almighty, and we're going to give an account for you. And so for us as leaders of the church, 
and elders of the church, that raises a pretty important question. What are the things in your life that I am going to give an account for? You know, what are, what are the things in your life, what are the things about your soul is God going to be asking me about on that day? What are, what, you know, the, the Bible specifically says that as an elder, <coughs> I'm to keep watch over your soul because I'm going to give an account. What are the things that I'm supposed to be keeping watch over? Now listen, here's, here's what I want you to hear. And I want you to listen to me carefully because this is kind of where I'm going today with this message. <clears throat> is that when I stand before God and he asks me to give an account for you, I have a feeling that he's going to ask me more questions about your soul than how often you attended church. I have a sneaking suspicion that when the Bible says that I am called to keep watch over your soul as one who will give an account, I have a feeling that that means, church, that I am to care more about, that I am to care more about how often you walked into a building and sang some songs and listened to a sermon and went on with your life, okay? So I'll ask again, what are some of the things the Bible is teaching here that I'm responsible to keep watch over? Now listen, the Bible doesn't definitively say, the Bible doesn't definitively say what's, what's going on in that moment. Um, we don't know exactly what that moment is going to look like. <clears throat> but as I've thought about it and as I've prayed about it this week, I decided to take us to the book of Acts. And so if you got a Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 2. Because what I want to do is is look at Acts chapter 2, because I think what Acts 2 does is it's probably the the closest thing we have in the Bible to a a prescription of what the church is supposed to look like. And when I say the church, I don't mean this building, I mean you and me. Acts chapter 2 is probably the closest thing we have to an outline in the New Testament of what you and I are supposed to be doing. What it is that we're supposed to be about. What are the things that are people that would raise their hand and we'd say, we're followers of Jesus. Jesus built the church. He saved us. He saved the church. And now we're, we're doing church here. What are we supposed to be doing as a church? Um, I want to read those to you together. Now, before I do, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I want you to remember the context of what's happening right now in these verses I'm about to read. Here's the context. Jesus has risen from the grave. Now keep that in mind. That was huge to these people. There's something really big about the fact that this guy died. He claimed that he was going to rise from the dead, and then he actually rose from the dead, and they all saw him. That was a big deal to them. Amen? They were like, wow, that's pretty cool. The guy was dead. Now he's alive. And so that's the context. A lot of these people had seen Jesus with their own eyes, and he was, he was alive. Now he's ascended into heaven. And then Pentecost has come after Jesus ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit of God has fallen on the people. And so God has now historically moved progressively closer. And now the Holy Spirit of God lives in them. And so that is the context of what's happening. Jesus rose from the grave. They have the Holy Spirit. And then they become the church. Now let's look at what the church does. This is kind of the first words we have of what the church did. In Acts 2.42. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. 
And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day for those who were being saved. Jesus rose from the dead. The Holy Spirit came. And that's what the church looked like. That's what the church looked like. Let me just break this down really quickly. Acts 2.42. Look at it. It says they were continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. I think the three key words that I can't get over, when when the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God was describing the church and what they did when they saw Jesus come out of the ground, it says they were continually devoting themselves. Those are three key words I can't get past. Continually devoting themselves. The Bible didn't say that they devoted themselves to something. The scripture said that the young church continually devoted themselves to something. Okay, you, you could describe their engagement with the body of Christ as something significantly more, something significantly deeper than just um, an hour and 15 minute worship experience on a Sunday morning. It was something deeper than that. It was something <clears throat> more than that. And you know, seeing somewhere along the way, we've, we've kind of lost... We've lost somewhere along the way. So many of us have lost the continually devoted part of church. We've, we've, we've lost it. Somewhere along the way between then 2,000 years ago when Jesus came out of the ground and the Holy Spirit fell. Somewhere along the way between then and now. Church. Church for so many of us has, has gone from something we are continually devoted to. To an event that happens once a week. They were continually devoting themselves. What, what were they continually devoting themselves to? Well, it says the, the teaching of the word. The teaching of the word. They were continually devoting themselves to the teaching of the word. This was a group of people <clears throat> that didn't just come in on a Sunday, hear a 38-minute message or 45, depending on who's preaching, and then sing a song in response to the 38-minute message and then go about their lives and then maybe if they had time once or twice during the week, pop open the Bible. I can't get over the phrase, they were continually devoting to the, to the teaching of the word of God. Um, fellowship, that's an awesome word. They were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. What does that mean? When I was growing up, fellowship, I, I grew up in a Baptist church and we had this thing called a fellowship hall. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There was a specific place in the church that is, that's where you went if you wanted to fellowship. Now, what that meant was, is that all the old ladies in the church cooked fried chicken and rolls and broccoli and rice casserole, which is awesome, by the way, and we need to bring that back, amen? But there's no old ladies in our church, so young women, y'all need to learn how to cook. Um, wow, was, that was like the worst thing I've ever said in my whole life on the stage. My career is over, bro. What's your email? Tyler at austinstone.org email him he's your campus pastor I'm so sorry I'm tired (coughs) All right. (laughs) anyway and so uh, young man you need to learn how to cook and um, 
you go in a fellowship hall and you need a potluck dinner, and we call that fellowship. And, um, and, and, but here's the thing, the word in the Greek right there is koinonia, and it doesn't really mean, it can mean getting together and, and cooking food and hanging out. It does mean that, but it's so much more than that. It's a Greek word that means a spiritual community of participation. <clears throat> a spiritual community of participation. And so they were continually devoting themselves to being a community of participation. And so there wasn't, it means that just there wasn't a handful of people that were kind of serving and loving the church is that everybody kind of raised their hand, everybody, and said, we're going to serve and love the church. Breaking of bread, that I believe there because he talks later about eating together. I think he's talking about communion. I think more specifically, <clears throat> he's talking about remembering Jesus. Okay, remembering Jesus. Back in the day, really, communion was not really what it looks like now, where it was some formal thing in a worship service. That kind of came about later in the church. Then community, or rather communion, was when they got together, they ate a meal, and they remembered Jesus. Wouldn't it be cool if you did that in your meal, that you're about to eat, instead of kind of stopping and praying that, that cursory prayer that you pray every time that you held up a glass and said, hey, I just want to stop and let's together, let's just remember Jesus. Remember his blood. Remember his broken body. That's what they did. And they were doing it continually in prayer. There were people devoted continually to prayer. Look at verse 43. It says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. All right, so God was showing up in power in this church. I love that. God was showing up in power. There, there was a sense of awe and there was a sense of worship that was occurring on in this, in this young body of believers. And, and the word that I can't get over in that phrase, can we put that back up there? <clears throat> the word that I can't get over is the word everyone. Everyone. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. That verse doesn't say that most people kept feeling a sense of awe, but there was like six or seven guys in the back with their arms folded that wanted to leave because they needed to go set their fantasy football lineups. That's not what it says. It's just this group of people and everybody was feeling a sense of awe and the power of God was falling on the church. Now look at verse 44. <clears throat> this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable for us as Americans. In verse 44 it says, And all those who had believed were together. And had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all. I think the key phrase there is was sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And this is really simple. Is that it, the Bible says everyone was doing this. And so it, I think what this is teaching us is everybody in the church participated in providing for the needs of the people of the church. Everybody in the church provided for the needs of the body of Christ. It was not a small group of people who felt the responsibility to do that, but everybody did. In verse 46, day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Church was not confined to Sunday for them. Church was not an event. Church um, spilled out of the building. It spilled out of the temple into their houses. Church was a community. It was a group of people that lived life together Monday through Saturday and Sunday was a celebration. <clears throat> and then Acts 47. <clears throat> um, 
247, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what that means is this church, as they did all these things together, they lived their lives so on mission for the Lord that people were getting saved every single day. Jesus came out of the ground, the Holy Spirit fell, and that's what church looked like. And so I want to ask you a really simple question. And guys, I really, I'm, I'm honest for the Lord. I'm not trying to guilt anybody with kind of the rest of this message. I just, as a pastor that is going to stand before the Lord on your account, I want you to take inventory of your life. Here's the question. Does that even remotely describe your engagement with the body of Christ? Does that even remotely describe your involvement with the entity that Jesus gave his life for, the church. And I believe with all my heart, I ask you that question because I believe with all my heart that when the Lord says that the elders of the Lord who are called to keep watch over your soul will give an account, I think those are the kind of things, I don't know, but I think those are the kind of things that I'm going to give an account for. Were you devoted to teaching, growing in the Lord, prayer, remembering Jesus? Were you in fellowship? Were you experiencing and participating in Cornelia? Were you you actively participating in loving and serving the body of Christ? Or were you the kind of person that just kind of expected everybody else to love and to serve the body of Christ? Did you remember, are you remembering Jesus? Is, is remembering Christ something more than you do on a Sunday morning? Um, do, do you just know about Jesus or do you actually know Jesus? And that shows up Monday through Saturday. Those are the kind of things I think that I, I might have to take responsibility for in your life. <clears throat> were you taking personal, were you, were you taking personal responsibility for the financial well-being of the church? Or were you the kind of person that came consistently and consumed but just expected everybody else to do that? God cares about that kind of stuff. Were, were you in real community? Were you in real authentic biblical community where you had people around you that were spurring you on to godliness, that were walking alongside of you, They're bearing your burdens, you're bearing their burdens, and you're walking in biblical community on mission together. I think God, I don't think, I know God cares about that kind of stuff. Were you living your life on mission for God, or were you living your life on mission for the American dream? I think these are the kind of things that I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for. Now the good news for me... And for the elders of the Austin Stone, is that for so many of you in this room, the answer is yes. <clears throat> for so many of you in the sound of my voice, the answer is yes. You are growing. You are serving. You are sacrificing to ensure that the needs of the church are being met. You are in biblical community. You do live your life on mission. That's the good news is so many of us. The answer is yes, that's true. But the bad news is that for so many more of us in the room, The answer is no. It's no. You're Christian. You love God. But somewhere along the way, church stopped being a family that you devoted yourself to and became an hour and 15 minute event. 
that you attended on a Sunday. Um, and I, I want to just share with you a couple of things that we learned from the last survey that we did, which I don't remember when it was. Do you remember, Tyler, when it was? 2012? 2012, so this, this is kind of old, but it'll give you an idea of where we were in 2012. And, um, but we, we have an average attendance at our church of 7,000 people. And so for most Sundays, it's a, it's a little bit bigger during the um, early weeks of the fall and early weeks of the spring. We'll jump up into the eight on Easter. We'll run about 10. Um, when the college students leave for spring break and early summer, we'll get down into the sixes. But the average attendance at the Austin Stone is about 7,000. And based on the last survey we did, the vast majority of attenders at the Austin Stone that would classify themselves as active attenders come between two and three weeks a month. Now, by the way, let me just say this. I'm going to drop out a bunch of numbers here, and I am, I am not a statistician. I'm not an accountant. Um, and so some of these numbers are probably going to be off or percentages and that sort of thing. So math, peop, uh, math people take a deep breath right now. Just, it's okay, right? You're going to make it. Don't email me, all right? But if you, if you think about it, if the average attendance is 7,000 people a week, and that's pretty accurate, and that's real close. <clears throat> and people are only coming two to three times um, a month, which is very common across the United States. Then what we can kind of deduce from that is probably 12,000, 13,000 people in the city of Austin that would raise their hand if you asked them and say, the Austin Stone Community Church is my church home. So it's not 7,000, it's more like 12,000, 13,000. Um, if there's an exact number, go ahead and email me, math person. All right, but anyway... If all God, think about this, if all God cares about is church attendance in your life, if all God cares about is you walking in the door, singing some songs, listening to a sermon, and going to live in your life, if that's all that he cares about, then the elders of the Austin Stone, we're good. We are in good shape here at the Austin Stone. You're in good shape, and I'm in good shape. If that's all that God cares about is church attendance, we are killing that. It's like the Lego movie. Everything's awesome, man. We are good if that's all that God cares about. But as we saw, God cares about more than that. All right? So let me throw out a couple of numbers, maybe some more in tune with some of the things that God's looking at. Of those 12,000 people, only 2,028, that's an accurate number, 2,028 are partners of the church. Um, Those are people, partners of a church that have... Uh, committed officially to the Austin Sun and said, this is my church home. This is where I'm going to serve. This is where I'm going to give. This is where I'm going to live my life. I'm going to submit myself officially to the leadership of the Austin Sun and the elders of the Austin Sun's church membership is what it is. 2,028 of the 12,000. That's two out of 12 people that walk in the doors consistently of our church have biblically committed to the Austin Stone. Now, I know there's probably a lot of you in the room that are going, wait a minute, Matt, I don't even know if church membership is biblical. I want you to know that just my opinion, based on what I've seen in the scripture, church membership is incredibly biblical. I was one of those guys at 22 that thought it was a bunch of junk. And the more I've studied the scripture of 20 years in ministry, I'm convinced it's incredibly biblical. I preached a sermon on it. It's called Why Church Membership is Biblical, or rather it's a question, is church membership is biblical? Go look it up and listen. You can decide for yourself. Okay, Two out of 12 have officially said, I want to engage in a covenant sort of way with the local body here at the Austin Stone. Missional community. 4,270 of us 
are engaged in missional community. Now, again, if we base that on the average attendance, we're killing that. That's great. Those are really high numbers. 4,270 people is a lot of people involved in missional community. And that's really awesome. That's really good. But if you look at it in light of how many people are actually actively, actively attending the Austin Stone, that's only about a third. It's only about a third of the people that would probably say, absolutely, the Austin Stone Community Church is my church home, are engaging with the rest of the body in this kind of Acts 2 biblical picture of fellowship and community. I'm not, I could talk about service, I could talk about a lot of stuff, but I want to give you one other stat that shocked me this week. I have been living in blissful ignorance for 13 years until this week. Now, let me tell you something about me. <clears throat> if you don't know who I am, I'm Matt. I started the church back in 2002, moved here in August of 2002. We started the church with 15 college students, a couple of single folks, and about one or two married couples. And I was the guy, since I started the church, I had this big checkbook thing that I got from this bank, and I was responsible for the finances. Well, that lasted about a week and a half, because we found out you actually have to be able to add and subtract to be able to do that, and I can't very well. <clears throat> and so about a week and a half, two weeks into it, I gave the finances of the church to somebody else, and I literally, and I will say this before the Lord right now as my witness, I have never one time. Never one time from that day looked at who gave what in the church. I literally, not one time, I have absolutely no clue what anybody in the history of the Austin Stone gives. I don't know what elders give. I don't know what my staff gives. All I know is my wife and I give. That's all I know. I've all I've ever known. So this week, I came up to our church accountant and I said, hey man, I need you to tell me <coughs> some stuff about giving. I don't want to know anybody's names, but just give me some stats about the giving at the Austin Stone the budget and that sort of thing. And what he told me put me in a deep, dark depression. Because here's what he told me. He said that less than 600 people gave 50% of the entire budget. Less, less than 600 people gave 50% of the entire budget. Which kind of makes sense. <clears throat> but then he said kind of the, and he, and he called them giving units because that's what accountants do. They say goofy stuff like that. But it's basically... If you take all the people that are married and all the singles and all the college students and he added them up, he said that it was it's right around 2,000 total. Right around 2,000 people total that gave 100% of the budget. And so you've, you've which is great. Again, you've got a couple of thousand people that are absolutely living out this Acts 2 picture of sacrificial living for the body of Christ but it, it also, what kind of put me in a funk was that you've got close to 10,000 people who, many of whom, some people don't, but many of whom have the means to provide for the needs and the funding of the church that have said, I'm not going to participate this in this and engage in this in any meaningful way whatsoever. And listen, I get, I get there are a lot of circumstances in people's life that contribute to all these numbers. I get it. You've got college students, you've got people that are um, in transient situations with their jobs. We've got a lot of visitors here. We've got people that aren't believers. I totally get, <clears throat> we're not talking about 12,000 people that are just rock solid believers in Jesus walking in the door. I get that. But as a man that is going to stand before the Lord and give an account for your soul, here's what concerns me. Is that I think we've got far too many of us here that are believers that would say that they love the Lord and that are active attenders of this church 
But somewhere along the way, this beautiful, unique, sacrificial, devoted, world-changing picture of the Christian life lived out in Acts 2 looks nothing at all like the life that we're living. And church, Jesus, when he spoke about the church, and he did, and he said, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, I'm going to build this thing. It's called the church and it's going to overcome hell. And then he was tortured and shed his blood and died to pay for the sins of that church. I have a feeling, I have a feeling that what he had in mind was a lot more than a group of people that walked into a door at nine o'clock on a Sunday, sang five songs, heard a guy talk for 30 minutes and went on with their lives. I just have a feeling when Jesus died for the church, he was dying more for the picture of what was being lived out in Acts 2 than what we've allowed it to become in our country. So college students, let me just speak to you. I know there's several of you that come here at the nine o'clock and there are many that are listening at the campuses across the city. Um, The time to begin to love and to serve the body of Christ is not after you graduate and get married and have kids. Because if you, in your mind, you're like, I'm just going to do the college thing and then one day I'm going to get married and get a job and have kids. That's when I'll come back to church. And a lot of people do that. I just, what I've found is so many of them, they, once that happens, they're already in this kind of routine of life and, and church is an afterthought. The, the time to, to jump into this thing and, and to begin to practice serving the body, to begin to practice the discipline of, of giving is not when you have a lot of money. The, 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 the time to practice the discipline of giving is when you have a little bit of money because I promise you it's a lot easier to give a dollar of the $10 you have than it is to give uh, 10000 of of 100000 that you're going to make one day. And so here's the thing. The time to discover your spiritual gift and engage in using that for the glory of God is not after you get married and have kids. I don't think that was God, that was ever his intention of us waiting until we're 27 to get in the fight. I don't think that was his intention. The vast majority of the people I know in my life, men and women, <clears throat> that are faithful, active participants in the church, that love the church, that serve the church, that are living on mission for Jesus. The vast majority of the men and women that I know that do that today are people that began that journey in a significant way in college. And so I just want to challenge you today to do that, to think about how to do that. Unmarried folks, single folks, there's a reason that the apostle Paul said it's better to be unmarried. There's a reason he said that. There's a reason he said it. He gives a reason why. He says, look, if you're unmarried, that's cool. If you're going to burn with lust, get married. But if you're cool, then then don't. And here's why he said, remain unmarried. He said, because you have this, this time on your hands that you can commit to the Lord. You're in this kind of beautiful season of life where you don't have all these things pulling at you. And you can devote it. I think he uses the word devote to Jesus. I'm going to tell you something, man. You get married, men, you know what you're going to do the day you get married? You're going to devote yourself to something. You're going to devote yourself to making that woman happy. And that takes a lot of time, all right? And Paul's saying, when you're not married, you don't have to devote all that time to making her happy. You can devote it 
to Jesus. And so in the vast majority of you that are single in the room, it's a season, man. It is a season in your life. You're probably going to get married at some point in time. And so take this season and do not waste it. Use your singleness in the short season you have it for the goal that God wanted you to use it for, which is his glory. Men, especially fathers, future fathers in the room, listen to me. Based on the way that you're living, I want to ask you a question. Based on the way that you're living, will your children grow up loving Christ's bride, the church? If, if your children just, if they had to take the reins of the church one day and lead it, could they know what it looks like based on, on you? See, I don't, I don't think they're supposed to be necessarily looking at me to know what it looks like. I think, I think when you look back at the Bible, it says a lot more about dads than it does pastors leading children. Can they look at your life and go, that's how to love the church. That's how to serve the church. I want to bring the band up and I, I want to end today. <clears throat> Very simply, I just want to read Acts 2 again. And I want you to hear it. And I just want you to, as a person that loves Jesus, just allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in answering the question, Lord, is, is, is the life that I'm living, is the way that I'm engaging with your bride, is this what you want from me? Or do you want more? How I'm spending my days in this Life that the scripture says is like a breath. It's like a hand breath. It's like you breathe into a mirror and it's there, it fogs up and then it goes away. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Forever, Our lives are like a blade of grass, the scripture says. We just grow up, we're green for a minute and then we're gone so fast. Am I, am I, am I spending those short days to the end that the Lord would have me to spend them. So let me read this to you and I'll pray. <clears throat> and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Church, we're all going to stand before the Lord one day. I pray in that day we would be found faithful. All right, let's pray together. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name for myself and for many in this room that we would stop playing church. And we would start being the church. The church that you desire. The church that you died for. 
The church, you shed your blood to build and to create. Jesus, if there's not anyone in this room who's ever trusted in you (coughs) as their Lord and as their Savior, have trusted in your sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, I pray that they would do that right now. For we know in Romans 14, they will stand and give an account before you. Their tongue will confess. Jesus, I love you. I pray your Holy Spirit would move now. You'd convict, you'd change. You'd give us the power to do it. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together.